0: In life, we look to words to guide us, to help us, to comfort us, to direct us. Words. And I've always maintained that actions speak louder than words. And as I've tried to flesh that out in my own life, to to do more and say less. I think I do that better with some things than I do other things. I've always been afraid of being a hypocrite, someone who speaks but does not do. And so I've erred on the side of not speaking about some things that I feel strongly about or, or maybe even sharing some things that I think are important even announcing stories or saying things that you know that people have done or I have done just because I just don't want to be misunderstood there's something to that fear but today today I was planning on talking about our talk I was planning on spending a few moments with what Paul says about our words, and in light of just a lot of pain that we feel, I thought maybe we should move this conversation to another day and um, do something different, but I chose not to, or to not move it very much. Um, Do you ever catch yourself talking to yourself? Some of you are so good at it that you don't care that you do it, but um, talking to yourself. Winning arguments in this conversation. Making a point. You know how it is you talk and you make your argument and then you bring home your point because you know what they would say. Growing up in the Silicon Valley, I would ride in a car, sit in traffic to go 15 miles for sometimes two hours. And I would get a lot of opportunities to watch people. Peering from the backseat window, I would just watch people. One of the most amazing things that I saw was people. They were people who would talk to themselves. And I know they were talking to themselves because they were animated. They used gestures and other types of things. But yes, they were talking and having this conversation. It was very entertaining to try and interpret the conversation that I couldn't hear as well. It really developed my sense of creativity. And now some of you are saying, well, what if they had a device on? Friends, this was back in the 70s. There were no devices. No, this this was a very common thing to watch. I often talk myself through things that I struggle with. Am I alone? (laughs) Even in the story of the prodigal son, the younger son who went away talks out his rationale. He's standing there in the pig pen, and you can just imagine here, Soaked in mud, starving, saying, I'm in a pig pen. What am I doing here? My father, and he's in the parable explaining this to himself. My father's servants are treated better than this and I'm starving here. I'm going to go back to my father. What will I say? Hmm. Well I think I'm going to start here and then he begins reciting to himself what he's going to say to his father, talking to himself. (laughs) There is something to positive self-talk, truly. The story is told of a father pushing a grocery cart with a toddler in the basket and the toddler's shouting and misbehaving and reaching and grabbing at things and putting them in the cart and an observant woman saw the fray of bad behavior. I also noticed the father speaking so calmly and so patiently, it's okay, Jimmy. You're going to be all right, Jimmy. Just, just hang in there, Jimmy. His words were so soothing. She had to stop and comment. Oh, you're such a good father, she said to him. And then she turns to the child who's still misbehaving and out of control, and she just coos to him. Oh, what's the matter, little Jimmy? The father interrupts and says, Ma'am, his name is Franklin. I'm Jimmy. (laughs) Self-talk. Sometimes it's the only way through. It's definitely underestimated. Um... But just expressing with our words has been shown to boost cognition. I read a study in which 20 volunteers were shown a lot of pictures of objects and told to pick one, the one picture that shows a banana. Half did the task quietly and the other half repeated the word banana, out loud loud the whole time. Banana. Even some of you are doing it, even when I say the word banana, you have to say banana back. You just lip it. It's kind of a fun word to say, so that might be part of it, but there are some of us who say things out loud, and what happened was, is that the group, the self-talkers who said the word banana out loud, found the picture faster than those who didn't speak it out. It's a well-known fact in education that children learn better when they talk their way through a skill, a new skill. Something they do oftentimes instinctively, right? They'll say what they're doing while they're doing it. My son, when he's building Legos, a kingdom, he'll tell what this is for and why it's there. And nobody's paying attention or taking notes. He's just constructing it and doing it vocally. Kids do it when they do long division, right? Or other types of things. The more they speak it, the more they learn it. <laughs> even even golfing with Pastor Henning, I've seen this. Pastor Henning um, talks to himself as he putts. Um, I remember one time, just I had been hanging around with Henning for 17 years, and I just noticed it. It was many years ago, of course, because neither was golf that much anymore. But he's making a five foot putt, and I watched him talk himself through a five foot putt as though he were negotiating someone off the ledge of a 10 story building. Constant, interactive, affirming, hopeful, of course with Henning, accurate with details. Um, and I quote him, okay, not a problem. A little to the right. It's going to break a little to the right. Keep the head still. There's the line I'm saying. And he's talking through the whole thing. I'm thinking, just put the ball but he's good at it. Better than me. Maybe some of it has to do with the verbal dialogue that's going, or the monologue that's going on out there on the golf course. And and knowing that there are times when it's just best to say nothing, realize that. And admittedly, it takes a thousand words to say what can be said in a picture, approximately. Artists, I know that. Scripture does say, be slow to speak and quick to listen. And all those things considered, there's power in the spoken word. The word that you speak. I'm sure we can all remember harsh words that were spoken to us. We can also easily recount. The kind words, the gifts of grace that have been given to us in the form of words that we will not ever forget. The words we speak are important in the moment and for the moments to come. Now I, um, I have some curious things I do when I'm on long trips and I'm driving. I, like to take the time to comment on people's driving. Anyone in your car do that? Now, let me explain what I mean. I'm not talking about when you're down here at um, the four corners and the light there, and somebody is not turning as fast as they should or moving the light's green. There are all kinds of comments we can make about that, and we do, and sometimes those comments are Blown so far out of proportion, what are you waiting for, the world to end? You know, and so they're just not, it's, it's just three seconds. But that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the how's my driving signs on the back of trucks. Have you ever seen them where it says how's my driving and it gives you a 1-800 number to call? How many of you have called that number? I am the only one in this building who has called that number. Let's pray. Um, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I feel like if they're going to post it on the back of a truck, I want to say something. Anyway, um, I tend to be a bit critical of other drivers, and so I chose to go on a journey where I was going to compliment publicly and formally other drivers. Have you taken the time to do it? I remember and some of the things that I would say, I would call up, and you'd go through all these, push the buttons, and you'd, you'd get to an operator. You ultimately get to a person on the other end, and I would compliment them. I would say, this driver has unmistakable composure, especially when it's windy. Or this driver demonstrates an inordinate balance of space between the lines. It's just a work of art. And I would just, I know it's embellishing it a little bit, but I figure, why not? And so I would call and ask, this driver demonstrates a keen awareness of other drivers around them. How did I notice that? He didn't run over me. Well, you can just say it like that. He didn't run over me, but that's not that's not a good word, is it? The good word is, is demonstrates a keen awareness. Uh, of the people around them. It's a safe place to drive next to this truck. An uncommon focus on the road amid all kinds of distractions. My favorite. This driver clearly maintains a graceful dexterity of the vehicle as they drive. One time I used that one. She said, what's dexterity? I, I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm... And then sometimes I just said, I'm just really impressed with how safe this driver is. I know it's weird, but I do it all the time. I did it on the way back from New York a few times. And it just felt really good to say. Now the person on the other end is expecting a complaint. And so when you launch with this string of platitudes about the greatness of their driving. Of course, they're wondering what's going on. And I just smile and say, thank you. Tell the driver, thank you for keeping us all safe on the road. Appreciate it. I'm impressed. (laughs) Other than it's a way to pass the time, it's good for me to express with words Goodness, competence, to to say it actually is important to do. One time I called on just such a hotline and I shared some of the words that I shared with you before. And the woman on the hotline paused and then exclaimed, George, is that you again? You can't call and compliment your own driving. You see, people are We're desperate. (laughs) Apparently, most people call and only complain, and then there's George, who who boosts his own evaluations, apparently. Um, All right, the point is this. Uh, Somehow, speaking and saying words deepens the truth of it to the one speaking. While I was in Manhattan with the orchestra, I'm from College Place. It's wide open here. Lots of people, but not that many people. I mean, we have a few, but little clusters here and there. When I was in Manhattan, I observed that even in such a big city with so many people, everyone is so close. On the sidewalk, we're close. And on the subway, we're really close. And even cars have this same tendency to get really close to each other. There's a a community that exists in this place called Manhattan that is beautiful. It's closeness. That's how I chose to say it the whole time I was there. I chose to look at all this crowd, the closeness, um, the frenzy, as one big happy community. And when I talk to people, I talk that way. Never once was I ever mistreated or looked at funny. People just responded with graciousness. It was at first a little unexpected. I wonder if it was them or if it was me. I wonder if my words are really that powerful. If your words really have the power to not only convey a thought you have, but deepen the thought that you convey in your mind and in your heart. Our passage today comes from One of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Ephesians, 429. And it's a simple, straightforward challenge um, that was voted by 100 university students. I asked them, and I gave them a list of 20 really punchy, one-liner verses in the Bible, and I said... Out of all of the 20 here, which one, if, acted upon today? If the church were to live out one of these passages for a whole year, which verse would make the biggest difference on life? Which would you choose? And 80% of the students chose Ephesians 4.29. And Paul says... Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Another translation says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit all who hear. Prior to saying this, Paul cautions believers not to give evil and anger and foul words a foothold in your life by the way that you speak. It's a whole section on the way we talk to each other in the body of Christ. But I believe it applies to New York and other places in life too because there's something that takes place in us when we speak. For good or for destruction? Paul actually uses a word prior to this verse, um, the word footholds. Do not give a foothold to the devil. In rock climbing, they have footholds. Some are large. There are these places that stick out on the rock climbing wall or on a vertical face of rock that are large like this, an ample place to put your foot, a stronghold where you can see it and and stand on it. It's obvious. There's no fear unless you're afraid of heights utterly, but you can see that and you can put the full force of your weight on that foothold, and then you have footholds like this, which are just barely a bump. A nub, an edge. But there are some footholds, whether they're small, these footholds, whether they're small or they're large, all have really two different features to it. Number one, you can put the full force of your weight on either of them. On the large footholds and on the small ones. All of your weight can rest on them. And these footholds do a couple of things. They carry your weight. But if you talk to anyone who climbs rocks, once you move to that one foothold, you're not thinking as much about that foothold. What are you thinking about? The next move. That foothold gets you to the next place. And you're thinking one, two, three. Steps ahead. In other words, there's this motion forward. There's the support that you can stand on, and there's the motion forward. Now take that analogy and apply it to the tongue, to the speech that we have, to the words that we use. And is it possible that whether it's for good or for evil, the words we speak become a place to stand? A support. If you say it, you stand behind it. And it also sets up your next move, doesn't it? For example, if you find yourself being critical or saying words that tear down or destroy, even if it's subtle or it's nuanced or it's innuendo, you you can't say it without moving towards something even more broken. Unless you have to stop yourself in your tracks and say, oh, well, I didn't mean that. And how does that go over? Do we, do we have the ability to take those words back when we say them? It's so also true for the kind words or the good words or the true words that we actually speak out. They become a place to stand. But it also moves us forward to something better. There is momentum We know that um, you can't take back some words. And that once spoken, they are this reality. And the only way to really deal with that is to admit how wrong it was or how selfish it was. And that's not easy to do, but what a relief when you start, many of you have had to admit the words. My thoughts about this are wrong. I was wrong to you. What comes after that? Fear? Hate? No, the only direction that really goes is good, isn't it? So when we move um, words from our mind to our mouth and they come out, they have this momentum that walks us to the next the next stage. Like this phrase that um, has been spoken to me at one time or another and, and I've had to say it before I feel like there's a distance between us and I don't want that. There's this immediate relief ah okay nobody's walking on eggshells anymore, it's out. It's good, okay. It might be frightening, but where do we go from here? You know it goes well from there, typically. I'm sorry. What happens when you say it? Now, we can all think it, but what happens when you actually say the words? It deepens in its intensity in your heart and in your mind. What about saying the words, I love you? Something must follow that right? and embrace a kiss, flowers. Something comes after that. It moves you that direction. I'm so thankful for you. To, To express these words, to speak them, is to mean them more. In fact, we know that when we speak, there is this psychological effect to speaking. This is unmistakable, but there's also... A physiological, and maybe even now a neurological effect to what you say out loud. If you speak it, you mean it more by doing so. In addiction recovery, there are um, there are lots of moments for people to make confession or public statements. In fact, if you were to walk into an Alcoholics Anonymous and say, Hi, I'm Troy Fitzgerald. I am an alcoholic. And everybody welcomes me and says, Hi, Troy. It's just this murmur in the room. But you say what everybody else has said. But in saying it, there's something to that. Now what happens if you walk up to the little um, podium there in one of those meetings and you say, hi, I'm Troy Fitzgerald. I have to be here and sometimes I use bad judgment. It's quiet. Someone will say, no, that's probably not true. Tell us the truth now. It's one of those moments where speaking the truth moves you forward. In fact, when we um, know in, like in some of the groups that we do for um, addiction recovery, they telling the person who's tempted to do something that they don't want to do To say out loud, no, I don't want to do that. Or yes, I choose to honor my covenant. Or I am going to resist this. To say it out loud actually strengthens the refusal or the embrace of the thing that they really want to do. The thing that they are tempted with is more easily thwarted by vocalizing against it for this reason. If this is true then what of our words and what of our speech? Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Superlative. Very few passages in the Bible contain so many superlatives. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that will destroy someone But say only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit, in the original, all who listen. What is the challenge for us today? It's just a very simple one from the Bible. From the Apostle Paul. Refuse to say anything that is unwholesome. Just stop yourself. The the word means corrupt, Um, it's the idea that something is rotten and spoiled or or another way to actually say it is something that's not been salted by the grace of God. Don't say anything that hasn't been salted or preserved tenderly um, made right by that moment. Don't say anything corrupt. And number two, say only what is helpful for building people up according to their needs. And three, that it may give grace to all. that the goal or the objective of this is firmly in place. What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Think of the words that get spoken that are caustic or hurtful. What is the intended? result or effect of those words when you look at it at its end goal what do you want by saying that do you want pain do you want them to feel what you feel or felt do you want justice what is on the other end of that thinking about that that's what Paul is saying think about how it may build up and encourage and give grace to the person who listens. If that is the objective, if that is the goal, wow. Can we not calibrate from that goal what to say and what not to say? Contextualize your words by the landscape of God's grace. If everything we said were somehow qualified by our vision of God's amazing mercy. How those petty things—they would just disappear, wouldn't they? They wouldn't fit. They don't matter on the grand spectrum of things. Even our deepest hurts and anger. When we place them against the backdrop of God's plan and God's story on planet Earth, it shrinks the things that we have a tendency to make so big. Think about what frustrates us. We look at somebody's annoying habit or a coworker's um, just qualities, something that might bug us. And we look at that and we have a tendency to turn our eyes upon that to use the words of a beautiful hymn, to turn our eyes upon that until everything else grows strangely dim. And that becomes much bigger than it should be. It blossoms and it amplifies. And and that's what Paul is warning us against. But he says, if you want to turn the tide on that, speak the word. Speak it gracefully. Speak it with this in mind. He created this good world. We've lived in it. He's paid for our redemption. We're going home. And against the backdrop of the story, we have this, um, this painting up there right now and it's beautiful. It tells the story. But if you were to take that and all the other stories and put them on this giant tapestry where we could see it all, and you were to take all of the little nuances that we speak out on, up against that tapestry and see it. Would we change our words? I know I would. And I want to. What would it be like today if this were to be applied? Last night, I gathered with um, families and with young people who... We're sharing their stories about Fisher and I was so honored to witness our children saying the kind of things that Paul tells us to say every day to witness them and Believe me, they weren't always flattering, this young man. They told stories about what a rugged rascal he was, too. But they were always contextualized against the backdrop of grace, the glory, and the beauty of what this all means. I saw 7th and 8th graders confound the world with the context of God's plan saying, I know, but I know he will be with us in heaven one day. Context. If I can say that to even my enemy, but God will come one day and he will take us home. Doesn't that minimize the intensity of our unrighteous, and our angry thoughts and words. Yeah. And what does it do to the beautiful ones that we say to? I believe it amplifies them as well. I also noticed that as they spoke the words, I trust God. I believe God. I know God will. As they said, those things, you could see their own courage strengthen in the tone of their voice as soon as it left their mouth they seemed different things that must be said when you look at the life of Christ there were times where Jesus chose to speak words one was when he was on the cross and a criminal asked him a question. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' words. He chose to spoke words equal to the question asked him while he was dying. Remember me? And Jesus said, truly I say to you today you will be in paradise with me. What did those words mean to the person who heard it? But what might it have meant to the one who said it? In agony, feeling the absence of God, but to speak truly about the future. It will happen. Does declaring that it will happen strengthen your belief that it will happen? I believe it does, so why be so quiet with our words? In the book of Revelation, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, okay, a loud voice is going to speak. God is going to speak words. He spoke the world into existence. Could he have just thought it? Yes, but he spoke it. There is something to speech. He says it again at the beginning and at the end. Behold. And I thought the quote ended about halfway through this, and there was just, you know, theological, commentary that followed it, but it's not. It's all one quote. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Great quote. Nicely done, I thought. And here comes the commentary. So what this means is we're not going to have any... No. Same voice. God speaking. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There shall... (laughs) Neither shall there be mourning, crying, pain. The former things have passed away, end quotes, spoken. When Jesus comes to Martha at Lazarus' funeral service, Jesus says to, to Martha, Martha explains she gets the theology of the moment, I am the resurrection and the life. You, you get that he's just sleeping. Yes, I get that. I understand the resurrection, but I want him today. I want it done. And he says to her, Every, everyone, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone, everyone who believes in me will not die. And if they die or sleep, they will live. Spoken. He said it. And because maybe she didn't hear it, or maybe because it's important to say it yourself, he asks her a question. He says, do you believe this? When somebody asks you a question, unless it's one of those rhetorical questions where we all just kind of nod. But I'll ask you the question, Jesus asked us, do you believe this? I believe this. Do you believe it? Say it. I believe this. Do you believe this? I believe it. Oh, to say it is to actually believe it more. Even when we say words that are selfish, even to stop in that moment when we catch ourselves saying something, because if we practice this, you're you're not going to, you may not be perfect at this. You may have some moments. You may be driving behind me and have a few moments. But you catch yourself. Speaking in such a way that this is not going anywhere grace-oriented. This is not going against the context of God's plan. This is not going to edify or build someone up. You see it. You hear it come out of your mouth. It's just as powerful to stop yourself and say, ah, those words don't help. They don't go anywhere good. In fact, they're going the wrong way. I'm sorry. Lord... Hear me, and when you say that and you say it out loud, especially if you're in a car or you're around, and you just speak it. A revolution in your soul will take place. A strength, a momentum. To see it, to believe it, to know those truths that you would speak about and and bathe those words in grace. Wow. So, what would it be like if we did that this week? When people are sick, like our community experiences and is experiencing right now, and when people die, we tend to be forced into watching our words more carefully. Why is it that during these seasons we're... Just a little bit more careful about the words we speak. It's because we're forced into this conversation, this great conversation, this longer conversation. We're forced into thinking about the bigger picture, and otherwise, we couldn't even manage the loss of a child or the sickness of a coworker. We couldn't do it. And so we're careful in this moment, we use the appropriate words, but what would happen if we were to use those words on a regular basis, to to stop and allow God and not evil to get a foothold, but allow God's grace to get a foothold in our mouth. And and then for us to be um, there moving forward to the next move to the next thing with momentum toward what he has called us to. Um, I long for that in in my own heart, in my own life, and I, with Paul, would just simply challenge you to practice that this week. So today, in the coming week, um, hear the challenge Paul has for us. Refuse to say anything that will tear someone down. And definitely, definitely speak up and say what will build them and edify them and encourage them because there's enough. If you know the grace of God, you know enough to say, there's something to say. And really, we can only do this if we consider the larger story of God's grace. Is that your desire this week, to to live in such a way that our words convey God's matchless grace to the people around us, those that we love and those that are a little bit harder to love. Is that your desire today?